Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the San Marino to my Harry Kane. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, how are you, dear boy? I'm feeling a lot better than the San Marino players. Actually, let's give them some credit. I'd be very pleased if I only got beat 10-0 by England, given that I have a part-time job elsewhere. I'd be very, I'd be, I'd be okay with that. Would you really, though? Because I did feel sorry for them in the end. I know you're playing against a bunch of, you know, world-class stars and you never expected to win anyway, but it's just a bit humiliating, isn't it? Just getting absolutely smashed whenever you play a game. Yeah, but you've got to consider that these guys, this is their professional pinnacle when it comes to football. They all have jobs elsewhere. It's not like if you're a postman and you play against England. The other professional pinnacle is being the grandmaster postman. I don't know what it is. I don't know if that's a thing. But it's that or playing against England. I'd rather play against England. I, I, I'm i still... If we're going to have this mini debate right now, then I'm still very <laughs> much of the opinion that teams like San Marino, Andorra, Gibraltar and what have you, they've got to qualify. They've got to qualify to qualify. Because it, it's just embarrassing at this point, Justin. I was squashing, watching it. Squashing the little I, man. But I was watching it on Monday night and it was just so bad. Like, what is the point anymore? Ah, oh, you, you people like you, you ruin football. You ruin the joy in football. Let's let's do a what podcast. Let's, let's go. It's joyless watching, you know, a <laughs> bunch of professionals smashing around a bunch of blokes who, you know, are delivering posts the next day. It doesn't make any sense to me. Anyway, uh, welcome to the number one championship specific podcast, this second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are, ladies and gentlemen. It's a preview show. It seems like ages since we actually had some championship games. The international breaks seem to get longer and longer. But uh, yes, we have got some championship football finally returning this weekend. We'll go through some of the big games coming up this weekend and then talk about some of the news. There has been a hell of a lot of news from the past few days that we'll dig into in the news section of the show. But before we get underway, dear listener, let me tell you about our friends at FansBets, the fan-led sports betting company committed to supporting charities and causes which are important to fans. You can get a terrific welcome offer of Bet10 Get10 when you sign up at fansbet.com. Terms and restrictions apply. Full details on site. 18 plus. Please do gamble responsibly. Visit BeGambleAware.org for more info and do also check out Fansbet Responsible Gambling Tools. We've been contributing to their social media content recently so for more views and opinions from us make sure you follow them at Fansbet on Twitter. We'll start off Justin by talking about Barnsley. They've got a mighty hard away game at Fulham this weekend, but I've had some good news because they've appointed a new head coach. Poya Asbargi, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, but that's what I'm going with. The Sweden under-21s manager, um, so they didn't look towards Central Europe for this one. He was born in Iran, but grew up in Sweden. He got his first manager's job at Dalkurd in 2016 when he was just 31. Uh, the year before, this was a very interesting story, Justin. The year before um, he became a manager, he was assistant at the club. And they were due to fly back to Sweden from Barcelona via Dusseldorf, but changed their plans at the very last minute as the layover would have been too long. Uh, after taking three separate planes, the team found out that their originally scheduled flight had crashed into the French Alps, killing everyone on board. Which is just... An incredible story, isn't it? But getting back to 
as Bargy's, you know, managerial career, he eventually um, got the job at Gertberg after having a very good time at Dalkurd. Um, he did quite well at Gertberg as well. He won the Swedish Cup, I believe, and was actually offered the Barnsley job in 2019 after Daniel Stendhal got sacked, but he turned it down. Um, he was then sacked himself the season after, which led to him taking on the job of the Swedish under-21s. Uh, Justin, in your time watching the Swedish Alsvenskan, did you like what you saw from Asbargi as a manager? Yeah, brilliant. Um, I will add that I had no idea that story was going that way. That is quite a journey. Um, yeah, it took me back a bit. Um, I, I can't say I watch too much of the uh, Swedish leagues. I do know that it is a sort of a, a tradition in Sweden that they have tacos every Friday. That's, that's a fact. Um, so I'll throw that one in. That's about as expert as I get in 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 Sweden um but nonetheless it's a it's a really good appointment (laughs) stop laughing it's a really good appointment for Barnsley I'm not trying to just diminish it with my terrible knowledge um but it is a good appointment for uh, for for Barnsley and it shows that they do have ambition of 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 really starting to try and develop their players because obviously as Bargy has a very good track record with with the youngsters because Sweden's under 21s are a very good outfit right okay there's a few things I need to pick out there that you've just said. First off, what has the taco thing got to do with anything? I thought I'd weigh in with some knowledge about Sweden. because I couldn't really offer it about football, um, which is... Is that, is that the which expert is my, analysis we're offering our listeners on this episode? It's extra value. You get a little bit of football, but also a little bit of culture. It's what we do, isn't it? Okay, and the second bit, what, what do you say about us, Bargy? That he's done. That's a good appointment for Barnsley. What are you basing uh, that on? Basing his track record with um, the Sweden under-21s and the players that I've developed through the under-21s because it is a, they are a very good outfit and one of the top under-21 teams in Europe. I think, in, if I'm right in saying, he's been there for about 11 months. It's a good time to be a Swedish under-21 international, in my opinion. Well, I'm not sure what you're basing this opinion on. A lot of it is difficult. We're not experts in Swedish football, but I think... The fact that Barnsley have moved quickly to get it done, the fact that Barnsley were going to, the fact that Barnsley offered him the job um, a couple of years ago, shows that he's been on the radar for them, and as well as that, he's been trusted. And I, I do say this with some knowledge: the Sweden under twenty ones are a very good outfit, and he's been trusted with their development. He's been trusted with their, um, yeah, passing through the ranks. Essentially, I, I do know that about Sweden under twenty ones. Okay, then, if you say so. He is only 36. Um, it is worth pointing out, but as I alluded to earlier, has quite a bit of managerial experience under his belt. He was sacked by Gertberg after a spell which saw him get just two wins. And this is the most impressive bit, Justin. 11 draws in 18 games. <laughs> so we it's could Gary have a, uh, the Swedish Gary Rowett on our hands <laughs> right here. <laughs> and I'm not going to pretend to know too much about... Um, Asbargi, I nearly forgot his name then. Um, I'm not going to pretend to know too much about him, Justin, or his style of play, but the proof will be in the pudding. And what we can say is he has got a big job on trying to pull this Barnsley side away from danger, hasn't he? Oh, it's, it's a given, isn't it? I think this this Fulham game this weekend is a, a bit of a free hit for him. Um, he's got a... He's not really had much time because he's been with Sweden under 21s during the international break. He's not had much time to train with the, with the group, but... Um, 
I think if you can get a, a good start, and, and I think most most importantly, it's getting a style of playing printed back into that Barnsley side because that's something that went away under Sharp and under under Stendhal and Ishmael. There was clear, there was clear, there's a clear philosophy with with both of those coaches, um, Struber, Stendhal, and Ishmael. That is, um, that as needs to instill back into them um, and 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 find a way to win because they've lost a lot of games this season. Well, it would be. It's worth pointing out he won't be in the dugout for this game against Fulham this weekend. He's not actually going to take training until next Monday, which I found a bit odd in itself. I don't know if there's any other reason why he's not going to be taking charge of them beforehand. Um, but nonetheless, you're quite right. He does need to, you know, get this clear identity back at Barnsley. I'm guessing because he was on their radar not too long ago that he may play a similar style of play to the managers that we've seen previously because shop was just all over the place once he was all over the shop you might say um whereas as if he was you know being linked with the job before when i'm guessing you know the likes of the ceo whose name i've completely forgot who's now gone to forest was there dane yeah. dane murphy that's it um when he was there then maybe it could be a good appointment as I say, only time will tell whether it's going to be a good appointment or not. But we should probably actually talk about their game this weekend, Justin. Uh, Lauman, Joseph Lauman, is going to continue as caretaker manager for this game. Um, now that he's not, you know, auditioning for the job, will you see that as a possible um, disadvantage for Barnsley? I don't think so. He's, he's a professional at the end of the day. He's not going to turn up and not be asked. Um, <laughs> <Fuck this>. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just turn up in his pants. That'd be interesting. Yeah. <laughs> but either um, way, this is a really difficult game, isn't it, for Barnsley, who, as we have known throughout this whole season, aren't in great form. They're coming up against a Fulham team who, prior to the international break, were absolutely irresistible. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's going to be a difficult game. This is why it's probably more surprising that Asbargi is not going to be involved. He's only going to take training on Monday. I think he will, obviously, hopefully he will be at the ground because they might have that Steve McLaren moment where they're 3-0 down at half-time um, and he comes down and, and has a chat with the players and miraculously they, they come out with a result. Who knows? But um, with, with with the Lauman aspect as well, I think um, they've done it with coaches in the past where they've stayed on at the club. So... I think Lauman's essentially auditioning for for Esbargi because if it's not the same cup of tea, then he may as well he may as well pack his bags and go. Um, but as as you say with Fulham, Fulham are, they've been absolutely tremendous. The only hiccup that they've got is after the previous international breaks, they've always come back with a bit of a bump. So it's about carrying on that form previous to the uh, before the international break. It's worth pointing out they weren't amazing against Peterborough just before the last just before the international break that we're currently in now were they um so whether that's a sign of things to come we'll have to wait and see for this weekend but they should be looking at this game and thinking to themselves this should be three points on the board um I think that goes without saying really doesn't it but let's have a score prediction Justin how do you see this game going I I think it'll be close I think Barnsley will get a couple of goals um, which is a surprise. I think it'll be 3-2. I just think it's an international break effect that Fulham have. They can get loose sight a little bit, I think, so they might let Barnsley back into the game later on. OK, I was not expecting you to say that, considering Fulham have been fairly solid at the back recently. I don't think they've conceded a goal in quite some time. Um, I'm going to go for a 2-0. Solid 2-0 win for the Cottagers. Uh, let's talk about Chris Wilder's first game in charge of Middlesbrough Justin. They're at home to Millwall. Are you expected to see a bright start to the Chris Wilder era here? 
I mean, he's had a couple of weeks, hasn't he? Which is a positive. Uh, I think a lot of a lot of managers gone. Uh, a lot of managers have gone during this international break, including the Premier League. So everyone's on that right frame of mind where they want to give the managers as much time as possible. So Wilder, Wilder getting in at, at Borough um, and having that two weeks is is massively important. I think I saw a clip where he's talking to the players and he's trying to instill that pressing philosophy that he had at Sheffield United, where without the ball they were just so intense and so difficult to play against. Um, it's literally say effing press, effing press, effing press, um, which. I think says a lot about um, Warnock under Neil Warnock. They, they were a bit passive without the ball. Um, so under Wilder, it's going to be completely different. As I say, it's going to be a massive, um, a massive chance for these Borough players to really show what they can do under a manager who can push them forwards. Well, that's what we've been saying, isn't it? We've been saying that Middlesbrough have got the core of a good team here, haven't they? Mm-hmm. And eventually, they need to bring in you know three or four players maybe in January or in the long term, maybe a few more. Um, But some of these players will be trying to make an impression on the manager and say, when you do go for a promotion push, which I think is what we're all expecting with Chris Wilder in charge, that I'm here to play my part. So I'm going to be fascinated to see how they line up. I think for the ideal Chris Wilder team, then there are a few pieces of the puzzle missing. I'm thinking particularly with wing-backs and centre midfielders. Of course, I'm basing this completely on how he set up his team at Sheffield United. But there are players in this team who could be key components of a very good Wilder team. So once he does manages, once he does manage to get in those players in January, I don't think they'll be too far off. And they're actually only four points away from the playoffs, despite being 14th as things stand. So... That's going to be interesting just to see the lineup for this weekend. Mm-hmm. One player I'm interested to see whether they feature for Borough or not will be Josh Coburn, only 18 years old, striker, big lanky striker as well. Started the last two games and scored in both, but he is looking like a real exciting talent, isn't he, Justin? He is. Um, I think when he came in and scored his first goal last season, it was a brilliant header. Um, and in this season, he's shown in the last two goals that he scored that he's getting into good areas, which is very hard to coach into young players, I imagine. Um, that's the one thing that's probably missing from their game is that ability to sniff out chances. And he's doing that. He's getting into the box. He's getting in between the posts, which all good strikers say you need to be, getting between the posts in a six-yard box and um, the chances will be there to score. So him carrying on that run of form, going to be difficult against a Millwall side who have a very physical back line, who are very, very disciplined back line not going to allow you much time in the box um, so this will be a really good chance for him to show that that he's up to it he's up to the physical battle that the championship does offer I mean he's done that already but it's all about consistency when you're a bit younger so carrying on that will be will be a good chance for him to do that but it's a chance for him to show himself to Chris Wilder that he can be a key player in the Wilder revolution that we're going to see at Riverside. Um, from memory, I don't think Wilder is particularly known for developing youngsters, is he? I can't really think of anyone from the Sheffield United team, apart from maybe Aaron Ramsdale. David really Brooks. As he, David, is he, is he there under Wilder? Yeah. Either way, maybe maybe he does. But Josh Coburn, either way, is very, very raw, isn't he, as a young player? So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how much he does feature under Wilder. Quick word on Millwall, Justin, because they're continuing to show themselves as a very tough side to beat, aren't they? Only four losses from 17 games and recently have been ticking along quite nicely. Five wins from eight, but this is a toughie, isn't it? 
it is because you're coming up against this unknown under Borough. If it was still Warnock in charge, you might fancy it a little bit more. Obviously, his record, Warnock's record with Borough this season, not too good against the teams that are in around him or, or above them. Um, but with with Wilder in charge, a bit of bit of an unknown. You're not sure how they're going to line up as you as you've already as you've already said. So difficult game for Millwall, but. If anyone's really good at spoiling parties and whatnot, it's Guy Rowell's Millwall side, whether that's managing a draw or nicking a late win. So it's going to be a tight one nonetheless. Score prediction, please. I'm going 1-0. One 1-0, all. One all, I will go 1-0 uh, to Borough. I, I can't see a, it being an upset, unfortunately, for the Lions. Friday night, Justin. It's QPR v Luton. Two teams I had down as dark horses to do very well this season. And so far... Both are matching those expectations, aren't they? At the QPR dark horses, I, I think they've been well fancied this season. They they were being tipped as dark horses by pretty much everyone, so they weren't really dark horses in the end. They were kind of like light grey horses. <laughs> it's like the turkey of uh, the Euros, wasn't it? Where everyone uh, everyone don't says compare turkey them to dark horses. <laughs> a better comparison would be Denmark. Because yeah, uh, yeah. Denmark did quite well at the Euros, whereas Turkey were just an absolute mess. But uh, yeah. carry on, Justin. Yeah, it's, they're, they're, these are two sides who um, absolutely love to attack, love to create chances, and I, I'm really excited by this game. Friday night is the best way to kick on, kick off the football for the weekend. Is, is getting two teams who are not necessarily great at defending. I think Luton's issues stem from not having Alan Campbell in the side. Um, I think having that ability to win second balls, but then QPR can be a bit disorganised as well, which just opens opens them up quite often. Um, and they, they often lack a, a controlling games. But yeah, these these are two sides who are absolutely brilliant to watch. Um, and I'm really looking forward to the to the game on Friday. But could go either way this one. It's a really hard one to, to separate in terms of um, the both sides because they are very good at attacking. Yeah, I agree. QPR can definitely be exposed by Luton's counter-attacking play, can't they? Um, mm. But QPR are very handy going forwards themselves with the likes of Chair and Willock, both in impervious form so far this season. This is an interesting stat, Justin. I'm not sure if you saw it when I uh, posted it on Twitter earlier this week, but QPR have dropped 12 points from winning positions this season. Only Derby have lost more. Keep in mind, QPR are sixth. So if they held on to all those points, then they'd actually be level with Fulham in second. So whether this is a continuing form continuing uh, pattern throughout the season will be interesting to see this is the kind of game where I think Luton are one of the teams who are quite good at getting back into games so mm-hmm. um, they've definitely got to keep them keep on their toes especially because QPR have been so poor at the back in recent times uh, but QPR sat sixth currently they will be overtaken by Luton if the Hatters get the win but what does Justin Peach think about this game Justin how do you uh, see this one going I'm gonna I'm gonna go th- 3-2 to Luton um, I can't trust QPR at the moment it's very because you, dropping points from winning positions lack of controlling games it's very hard to trust them so I'm going to go 3-2 Luton I I find Luton quite a untrustworthy side recently <laughs> as well the two sides who I both like but do have the occasional blip in them so it's really hard to decide for this one for me I'll probably go for, play it safe and go for a draw one all draw in this one but one it, it's all. definitely yeah no, that's what I'm surely not surely not 
You were saying Barnsley are going to score two against Fulham early. So yeah, that's a good fair not... point, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I'll go for a draw. Maybe a 2-2 draw, but a draw definitely. Um, and finally, just in the early game on Saturday, Sheffield United v Coventry. Sheffield United, one win from five. Jukanovic, definitely a man under pressure, isn't he? Yeah, definitely. He's, yeah, for, for me, I think we were saying it before the international break that this Sheffield United side needs freshening up. It needs a refresh massively. You know, the 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 form under Chris Wilder last season in the Premier League, it's just carried on into this season, and you can see it in the players. Um, uh, and obviously with Jukanovic as well, it feels that he doesn't know his best side. So I think this is really a good opportunity for Coventry to to show that budgets don't matter in this league. It's all about um, having a, an identity, a style of play and a, and a consistent, um, consistent set of players because that's what Coventry have and Sheffield United don't. You're quite right. The Sheffield United team is all over the place at the moment, isn't it? Jukanovic is, he, he was sticking with this 11 every single week, wasn't he? And it just wasn't working. And now he's trying to figure out again what his best team is. He's playing Brewster on the wing. To be fair to him, he's actually done quite good. And that's right, meant... Yeah. Yeah, Gibbs White has gone back into the number 10 role, which I think is his best role as well. But it's the rest of the team where he's really struggling to nail down what's going to be best for the future of the club this season. Because we keep talking about this second half of the season bounce. Is that going to start soon? We're halfway through November now, so it's got to start happening sooner rather than later, hasn't it? Because at the moment, they're just lingering around in uh, the bottom half of the table. Um, Commentary's away form is a bit stinky, though, isn't it? Just two wins from eight. Great contrast to mm. the home form. Whether this is their time to you know, start evening that out, we'll wait and see. They will be without Ian Martson, someone I'm a massive fan of, Justin, but he was sent off in the game just before the international break against Bristol City, which was a massive blow for them. But Coventry could jump up to third with a win here. Justin, how do you see it going? This is the sort of game where Sheffield United struggle with um, for me, and I think Coventry will nick a 2-1 win. I actually disagree. Sheffield United are a very... Really, well, they're, they're a very funny side to predict, and they have recently picked up results against the good teams, and then struggled against the not so good teams. So I wonder mm. if they could just get a you know two one win here. That's what I'll go for this week. But I mean, Sheffield United are one of those teams who are so hard to nail down at the moment that it honestly could go either way. But I'll go for a two one Blades win. Justin, let's have a quick break. After that, we'll go through some of the news from the past few days, including Derby's points deduction, another points deduction for another championship side and the return of Andy Carroll Welcome back to the second tier podcast now it's time for this Yes, it's time for the news. And Barnsley have appointed former Sweden under-21s manager Poya Asbagi as their new head coach. We've spoken about that in great detail already, Justin, so we shall move on. Something that we spoke about at the weekend, but has now been confirmed, is Derby's points deduction. They've now officially been given the extra nine, which means they're on minus three points, 18 points from safety. Derby have also been given a new set of financial restrictions for the rest of the season. They've got a salary cap of just under £16 million, but can't sign anyone anyway because they're under a transfer embargo. Um, I don't really know what to talk about with this, Justin, because we went into great detail with it at the mm. weekend. But what does this mean for Derby now? 
Uh, I think it means consolidation, doesn't it, for the rest of the season from a playing perspective. Try as best as you can. And if you can escape relegation, then bloody hell, you've done a very good job, haven't you? Um, but it's, that, it's, you can't, it's a, Surely you can't no, see no, that happening, though, can no, you? No, this, this is what I'm saying. Consolidate, try as best as you can. Um, plan plan for next season in League One. And obviously, if you do escape relegation, then that's a bonus, isn't it? Let's be honest. You can't consider it, but I don't think Rooney's going to say, right, we're not going to bother. Well, we're not going to stay up, so let's just try as best what is that we're not going to stay up let's try as best as we can um, and if they do cut it fine it's, I think for me it's about avoiding that record uh, lowest points record which I think is around 28 points something like that which was Blackpool um, or rather than both teams was really poor should know that but nonetheless it's about trying as hard as they can to avoid being the worst championship team because obviously they're already the worst Premier League team ever I think it was Rotherham and I think they got 23. Um, but I feel like the caveat of having the points deduction kind of, you know, negates that because Rotherham were just ultimately terrible that season. Um, I think if I was a Derby fan, obviously the main concern at the moment is sorting out the ownership situation. Yeah. Who's going to take over? That goes without saying, doesn't it? One thing that I'm interested to see and would be concerned about if I was a Derby fan would be what the situation is going to be in January. Because we saw with Wigan, didn't we, when they were in administration and this was last summer, wasn't it? Um, it was an absolute fire sale. Derby are in quite a fortunate situation where they've got sellable assets, but at the same time, I wouldn't want them to you know, throw everything out the window. And I'd like to see them keep hold of a couple maybe um I, I just don't want to get to this situation in january where lawrence Bielik, knight bird sibley all these players just go straight out the door and then we're left in the second half of the season with a bunch of kids you know fighting a battle that's unwinnable um so that'll be my concern and in addition to that if they manage to keep hold of some players then it goes a great way to you know bouncing back at the first time of asking in League One next season. I think that's a big ask considering everything that's going on at the moment, but it goes some way to, you know, levelling things out and having a bit more stability, doesn't it, when they do inevitably get relegated. Um, sticking with points deductions, Justin, the Daily Mail is reporting that Reading and the EFL have reached an agreement on a points deduction. They'll be docked six now and could have six suspended pending compliance to agree a business plan for the season and the one after that. Um, thoughts on this? Um, I, don't, I feel like the EFL make it up as I go along. I think that's the the, the, the key thought of it. Um, there just needs to be regulations put in place where things are solid. Because obviously Derby get the full the full whack um, based on their losses and absolutely fair enough. If Reading's losses are, are of a similar um uh, numbers then they should also have the, the full minus nine um, but from their perspective again it, it, it puts closure on something a lot quicker obviously with Derby it's taken almost two years to get to this point with Reading it's taken five or six months which is a lot better than that you don't want it hanging over you for a, for a while um, but I think once we know the, the, the inner details of, of why they've agreed to that six points then we won't know too much more but I think from Reading yep it's about staying up for, for as long as possible because um, until they get players back fit, it's going to be difficult for me. Well, speaking of players coming in, they've signed Andy Carroll, the former England international has been a free agent since being released by Newcastle. He joins on a two-month deal, which is coincidentally around the time that Lucas Shaw is back. Uh, but Cal to Reading, what do you think, JP? 
Um, I think it's a tardy signing. He fills a void that is very much needed. Um, I personally have never been a big Andy Carroll fan. Um, I think he's all he's all head. I know he scored a couple of great goals with his with his feet, but he's, there's not much to him in terms of a target man. But as I say, he fills a useful void for Reading that they need. Um, not only does he add a threat in the box, but he's also a player who can bring other players into the game. And you've got the likes of John Swift, Oviajaria, um, Junior Hoylet, in and around the box you need someone to hold that ball up and link up so he's going to add that uh, aspect definitely I quite like it I'm I'm not expecting big things I've got to say I, I think he would I think he can be a very handy player for Reading I'm not sure he exactly suits the style of play but I, I don't think there are particularly many other strikers who are available at the moment and Reading were just clearly desperate to bring in anyone who fits the bill and Carroll you know former England international um handy enough I'm guessing um so yeah we'll see how it goes two month deal it's a chance for him to fight for you know something more substantial um whether it's just you know filling a gap until Lucas Shaw back we'll have to wait and see won't we according to BBC Sport former Wales left back Neil Taylor is set to sign for Middlesbrough on a short term deal um any thoughts on that one Justin I feel like he's been training with them for about two or three months I'm sure I came across this uh, this story back in sort of early October um, but again he, he, he fills a void that is much needed for Borough obviously they have a couple of injury problems at the back him coming in very experienced left back I'm surprised he's not been offered a contract in the championship already because he's still a decent age um, but yeah I think it's a tidy signing don't have any complaints about it yeah well the two normal left backs well two normal full backs in Boller and Dyke Steele have both been missing recently, haven't they? And they've been having to play the likes of Isaiah Jones, Lee Peltier, who someone I completely forgot existed. Um, <laughs> and, you know, players who are traditionally wingers, the likes of Ronel Hernandez, for example. So, <laughs> yeah, Taylor is another one who fills a gap, doesn't he? Um, I'm not, I didn't get the details. It's really unprofessional of me to not get the details of how long this deal is. But I'm guessing it's possibly going to be until January, similar to Carroll. Um and then it may just be filling a gap until they manage to bring in someone who's a more of a long-term option in a, the January window. The Hall Daily Mail says Hall's prospective new owners are hugely positive that the takeover can be finalised in the next three weeks. Akon Ilachai uh, has more productive talks with the Allen family this week, which is good news from a Hall perspective, isn't it? They've been desperately, well, the fans have been desperately trying to uh, get new owners in now because not only will that mean the Allen family are out of there, but it also means they'll get a new manager in, hopefully. Um, Peter Proboss, Darren Ferguson has signed a new contract, which will keep him at the club until 2025. This all seems a bit weird to me, Justin. <laughs> Peterborough looked all awful earlier this season, didn't they? And as soon as they had a slight upturn in form, they go and give Ferguson a new contract. And I actually tweeted on Tuesday, Ferguson's new contract fully deserved after a run of four wins from 17 games and then that just completely enraged Peterborough fans I, I just don't really get why they're so protective over him because sure he's been there a long time and he's won promotion with them from league one a few times but is he really the man to take them to the next level because his record at championship level is bang average he's got a 26 percent win percentage and his highest finish ever in the championship is 18th. I honestly just don't get what the thinking is behind this. Will they stay up the season? Still up in the air. It's been helped that one of the relegation spots has now already been taken up by Derby, hasn't it? But if they do stay up, will they progress with Darren Ferguson in charge? 
I don't see that happening because he's failed to do it multiple times. Hence why I think giving him an extra three and a half years is just mental. Do you see what I mean? I, I, I do see where you're coming from. Um, I do agree in the sense that his, his championship record isn't very good. Um, he, I think what he does bring to Peterborough is he's a very good coach. He's, he's an incredibly good coach because you've seen the amount of talent that's come through Peterborough over the years and the talent that's currently at Peterborough. You look at the likes of Jack Taylor, um, Harrison Burroughs, they're, they're really excelling in the championship this season. Um, I think the the one caveat to that is, is his record, is whether or not they can compete under Ferguson in the in the championship but then again can they can they go out and spend a lot of money on a new manager remains to be seen so they probably see Ferguson as the the best option for them and um, it's very hard to disagree as I say when you've got a trusted coach who's very good at bringing through talented players I just think all well and good him having a good record bringing through players most of them if I'm thinking correctly a league one anyway and when he developed them Mm -hmm. so is he a good League One manager and just not a very good championship manager? That's the kind of inkling that I'm getting from this all. Uh, Justin, let's talk about the curious situation with Nigel Pearson and Bristol City. On Monday, the club revealed he's continuing to recover at home after a recent bout with coronavirus. He's effectively been given an indefinite leave of absence because the club say no timescale has been given for when he'll be back. He wasn't in the dugout for the match against Coventry before the international break and is expected to miss the Blackburn game this weekend. It's all very odd, isn't it? Because... I don't want to come across as harsh for someone who's ill, but at what point do you say, you know, this is affecting the club now and we need to bring in someone who will be with the club full time? Do you know what I mean? Uh, I, I do, but you've got to take into consideration, obviously, he's under contract at the end of the day and I don't think you can just let someone go if they're poorly. I think that is illegal. That's what I mean. That's why I think it, it would be harsh to do that, but if the club's you know, suffering as a result, then I, I don't know where the line is with that. Well, that's something that you need to ask a lawyer, but I think um, Shrewsbury had the same <laughs> Shrewsbury had the same thing last season under, uh, with Steve Cotter. Obviously, he got a really bad bout of COVID, suffered quite badly with it and was out of action from around, I think, January till the end of the season. I think he was still feeling the effects even in the summer. Um, so I think from Nigel Pearson's perspective, it's about... Um, it's about uh, getting as as as, um, as better as possible um, from Bristol City's perspective. They obviously cr- uh, trust the um, the the coaching team there, so I don't think you need to press the panic stations yet. I think Nigel Pearson is the sort of guy where he's, if he is ill for a long time, then he would probably step aside to uh, allow someone to come in and, and, and see the club through. But um, I don't think they need to press any buttons at all. I just think they need to get behind the, the coaching staff and... Um, yeah, get behind the team as well. Mm. All I'm saying is, you know, you know, I, of course we wish Nigel Pearson all the best in getting better, but when the club has had five losses from six games and they're sliding dangerously close to the relegation zone, they're only three, point, uh, three places above it, then that's where my concern is, if you know what I mean. I, I don't want to come across as harsh, of course. <laughs> um, and then at the weekend, Justin, we were speculating about what the championship schedule could be for next season with the World Cup in Qatar after the Premier League revealed theirs. Well, we now have answers. The championship season will begin at the end of July until pausing on the 12th of November, two days before the World Cup starts. The second tier will then resume on the 10th of December, 
which will be after the group stages of the World Cup. The season will then conclude on the 6th of May, worth pointing out that League 1 and League 2 will continue while the tournament takes place unless there's a serious problem with international call-ups. So Derby will carry on playing Justin when uh, the uh, World Cup is actually happening. Thumbs up from him. Big thumbs up. A lot to take in there, of course, but the most interesting bit for me is that the championship will continue while the knockout stages are happening. So if you've got any players whose teams do quite well at the tournament, then you could be missing them for quite a while. Yeah, that's an interesting one. I think FIFA are banking on them. They're probably saying oh, anyone in the lower tiers is pretty shit, basically. They're not going to get to the knockout stages with their countries. Well, well, That's what well. it sounds like. Well, let me point out, Denmark in yeah, exactly. the Euros, they had at least two uh, Brentford players in there, didn't they? Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm guessing there must have been a couple more in there. Um, and yeah, I'm thinking the likes of, oh, it's a bad example because Mitrovic isn't going to be in the championship next season, I doubt. Uh, but Serbia, for example, if they do really well, then they could be really missing these players. So yeah, it's, it's an interesting planning. one. Well, it's, it's the EFL who are behind that planning. Uh, that's what I mean. It's it's weird planning. Uh, obviously, we knew the World Cup was coming, but let's be honest. Though, I mean, the game's finishing two days before the World Cup starts as well. That's that. Uh, yeah. What international team is going to want to allow their club players to play a game two days before your first group game? No one. No one wants that. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to be very fascinated to see how the whole thing pans out. I'm thinking, remember Everton Diaz? Now that I thought about it, what if Chile do well? Yeah. It will change. I guarantee the EFL will change their stance on it. So, it, I imagine at the moment no one's really fussed. But when the actual World Cup happens and we're actually at the time, then there might be a bit of a kerfuffle about it. And, you know, teams demanding that games be postponed until the players are back. Something to keep an eye on either way. Mm. Justin, now it's time for this. All right, all right. Settle down, you lot. It's time for the Craig Bryson pub quiz. Indeed it is, Mr Bartender. This is the game where Justin and I try to guess a mystery championship legend. This week it's Justin's turn to give me six clues on a player who's made at least 200 championship appearances. All I've got to do is guess who that bugger is. The score currently is 4-3 to myself. We've been having a bit of a back and forth recently, haven't we? Neither of us mm. getting one wrong for a number of weeks now, I think I'm right in saying. But Justin, can I have, Justin, can I have the first clue, please? You can. You absolutely can. I've made 246 appearances, uh, scoring 84. 246, scoring 84. So you're talking a record of one in three. So I'm looking at a striker, I think. It's goalkeeper. Um, yeah. Um, Kevin Phillips. Not Kevin Phillips. My career got off to a slow start after my debut in 1998, scoring just seven times in 66 appearances before a loan spell in Finland and Ipswich Town got it going. I'm going Finland. I'm going to go with Shefki Kuchi. It's not Shefki Kuchi. I was thinking Ipswich as well. Mm. Mm-hmm. In three seasons, I scored 45 goals for Nottingham Forest before leaving midway through the 03-04 season. God, that was ages ago. It was a long time. Mm. We were 10. We were. I'm struggling to recall many forest strikers from around that time. Um, Pierre Van Hooydonk. No. <laughs> yeah, no. It's not him. That's quite, that's quite a shout. I think he refused to play for Forest in the Championship as well. I think Forest fans might want to correct me on that, but I'm, I'm pretty sure he refused. Anyway, next okay. clue. I moved to West Ham in 2003. 
and helped them win promotion via the playoffs in 2005, as well as appearing in the 2006 FA Cup final. Okay. I think I know who it is. Is it Marlon Harewood? It is Marlon Harewood. Thank God for that. Yeah, completely forgot he played for Ipswich and even yeah, went to Finland. Spell. Yeah, I, I know the Finland one, but I didn't realise Ipswich. I was worried that you'd get it after this third clue. I tried to sort of give you a bit of a false, uh, false herring? Uh, red herring. Red herring. herring. Red herring. Yeah. <laughs> Mixing metaphors, that's what I do. Um, do you want to hear the next <laughs> do you want to hear the next two clues? Because I yeah, think they're go really on. interesting. We've got time. Why not? I don't think we've got time for the amount of clubs we're going to go through in a moment. Other clubs I've played for include Aston Villa, these are not in order, Aston Villa, Wolves, Newcastle, Barnsley, Guangzhou, Bristol City, Blackpool, Hartlepool before retiring at Northern Town. Right. I'll say this. How many clubs were did you mention there? About ten. I remember him playing for one of them. <laughs> I, re- I remember him playing for Blackpool. And I completely I... forgot about that. I remember him playing for Villa, because um, that didn't go out very well. I actually remember him playing for Barnsley, now you mention it. Cause I remember yeah, it being he a had a full season move. at Barnsley. He had a full season at Barnsley. Do you want to hear the next clue? It's quite interesting. Yeah, go on then. I now own a luxury car business where we design and customise cars in Nottingham. Isn't that nice? Well done, Mr. Harewood, for your... Uh, for your future business after football. Um, well, there we go. I'm now 5-3 up as the season goes on. We're getting towards the halfway point, Justin. You've got to start catching up with me at some point, my boy. It's very difficult to do when it's like back and forth. I need like a, I don't know, I need I need a week where I, I really stitch up with clues. That's what I need. Like you were doing at the start of the season. Give over. They were fine. They're- Man, they're awful. Some of them you were coming out with were absolute stinkers. <laughs> Nonetheless, ladies and gentlemen, this has been the Second Tier Podcast. Quick reminder about who knows wins. All you got to do is download the app, enter second, and then you can join our league. Um, the prize pot is £300. All you got to do is correctly predict the most championship results from the 3pm games on Saturday. And then you can be in with shout with winning big money. Um and if you do win, we'll also give you a shout out on Saturday as well. So make sure you join that before this weekend. Otherwise, we'll be back again on Sunday for a roundup of all the championship games coming up this weekend. And that's about it for us, Justin. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Sunday. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.